Ruth chose to come with Naomi back to Israel. This was a major pivotal moment, not just for Ruth and how her life would unfold, but it directly influenced the lineage of Jesus. What if she had not gone back to Israel with Naomi? This is the Bible Speaks to You podcast, episode 217. Today we're going to be talking about pivotal moments in the Bible leading up to Christmas. You're listening to the Bible Speaks to You podcast. I'm James Early, your host, and this is the place to be to rediscover the original Christianity of Jesus. Each week, we talk about how Jesus wanted us to think and act and pray and live our daily lives. And we dig down into the mindset of Jesus to discover how we can think and act like he did. The goal is to experience more of Jesus' promise that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Hey there, and welcome again to the Bible Speaks to You podcast. I am so grateful you've tuned in to listen today. I've got a question for you. Have you ever looked back at your life and realized that there were some pivotal moments that changed the direction your life was going? Recently, my wife and I were talking about some of these moments in our own lives, both before and after we got married. In fact, one of the most significant pivotal moments in my wife's life that had a huge effect on me was when she had to stay in New York City one weekend when she wanted to visit her parents in Michigan. Well, it just so happened that was the weekend I was visiting my sister in New York City. And that Sunday at church, we met. If she had been back in Michigan, things would have turned out very different. I did a whole podcast episode about how we met, and if you'd like to listen to that, I'll have that link in the show notes. The Bible is full of pivotal moments, sometimes small, sometimes large things, changed the course of the overarching story of the Bible. Think about when Moses sent the 12 men, one from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, to investigate the land of Canaan after their exodus from Egypt. Ten of those 12 were intimidated by the people they saw, and it created fear in their hearts, and then they shared that fear with the children of Israel. As a result, the Israelites had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years before they could come back to Canaan. Now, you can read that whole story starting in Numbers chapter 13. Ten men who were afraid changed the course of Bible history. What would have happened if they had not been afraid, had not made all the people afraid, and had had more faith that God would help them? Well, they wouldn't have had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And what else might have been different, we may never know. But just think about that for a little bit. What would have been different if they hadn't been afraid? Christmas is in just a few weeks, and I've been thinking more specifically about some of the things that happened in the Old Testament that helped set the stage 
and direct the chain of events to prepare the way for Jesus to be born. And I want to talk about some of these pivotal moments that lead up to Christmas. There are so many, so I'll just talk about a few of them. Well, let's think back to those 12 men who went to check out the land of Canaan. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, maintained their faith in God's ability to give them victory, even against all odds. Caleb was from the tribe of Judah. His decision to be honest and faithful to God was a pivotal moment. It set the tone for the tribe of Judah down through the ages. And interestingly enough, King David is descended from the tribe of Judah. And concerning the tribe of Judah and David's kingdom, Jeremiah prophesies, this is Jeremiah 33:17, for this is what the Lord says, David will never fail to have a man sit on the throne of Israel. This is kind of a parallel going all the way back to what Jacob said concerning his son Judah. This is Genesis 49:10. This is Jacob talking to Judah. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants, until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor. Well, that's a pretty clear reference to the Messiah. All the way back in Genesis, there's this hint of someone who will come to rule all nations. David's loyalty was part of the heritage of the tribe of Judah. So was Caleb's loyalty and being faithful to God, and it went all the way back to Judah himself. But it's not just Judah, Caleb, David, and other members of the tribe of Judah as individuals being in Jesus' lineage. It's even more about the loyalty these men had that factored into Jesus' heritage. Another pivotal moment in the Bible that leads to Jesus is how Ruth responded to her mother-in-law, Naomi. After Naomi's husband and two sons died, she decided to return from Moab, where she was living at the time, to her homeland of Israel. She encouraged her two daughters-in-law to stay in Moab. Orpah decided to stay. However, Ruth chose to come with Naomi back to Israel. She implored Naomi, this is Ruth 1, 16, Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. This was a major pivotal moment, not just for Ruth and how her life would unfold, but it directly influenced the lineage of Jesus because Ruth eventually marries Boaz. Their son, Obed, was the father of Jesse, who then was the father of David, who of course became king of Israel, and Jesus, in his human lineage, is descended from King David. So here we have a young woman, Ruth, who has been deeply touched by the love of her mother-in-law, Naomi, but also by Naomi's devotion to God. Ruth had seen firsthand Naomi's love for God and the difference it made in her life and she wanted to follow in the faith of Naomi. Ruth didn't know she would have anything to do with the promised Messiah, and perhaps she didn't even know that there would be a Messiah. And she was certainly not aware of her place in Jesus' genealogy. 
She was just following her newfound convictions of faith and trust in God. Here is a non-Jewish foreigner who becomes a link in Jesus' human history. What if she had not gone back to Israel with Naomi? That decision was an incredibly important, pivotal moment in leading up to Christmas. And speaking of King David, there's so much we could talk about. In spite of several times when he was not in obedience to God, David was, in general, faithful to God. This loyalty and devotion was pleasing to God. David's life as a whole was pivotal in the trajectory of Jewish history. It helped set the tone for what it means to be a man after God's own heart. And God revealed to David there would be someone coming as his descendant who would be known as the Messiah, the Anointed One. There were also various pivotal moments in the course of the drama and intrigues of all David's wives and children. Absalom plotted against his father, but didn't succeed. But what if he had? Things would be very different. There were some pretty intense politics surrounding the question of who would be king after David. But in the end, it was Solomon who became king. This was certainly a pivotal moment leading to Jesus' birth because Solomon, too, is part of that lineage. Not that Solomon was a perfect king, but the wisdom Solomon expressed, especially early in his reign, is a major component of Jesus' heritage. Now, there are lots of prophets in the Old Testament who talked about a coming Messiah. The book of Isaiah, in particular, is full of such prophecies. This is Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And then in verse 7, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establish and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And then in Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, and Jesus quotes these words in his ministry, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, and to proclaim that captives will be released, and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come. I've already mentioned Jacob's prophecy about his son Judah. Moses also prophesied that the Messiah would be a prophet. This is Deuteronomy 18, 15. This is Moses talking. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. And then the prophet Micah tells us where the Messiah will be born. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. And finally, in Malachi 3, verse 1, God says through the prophet, Look, I am sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant, whom you look for so eagerly, is surely coming. 
says the Lord of Heaven's armies. There are so many more prophecies of the Messiah in the Old Testament, but I'd mention just these few to show the growing awareness and expectation over centuries of a coming Messiah. The children of Israel were slowly but increasingly pivoting to look for God's anointed one. Now, of course, this wasn't exactly a pivotal moment. It was a slow and gradual process with ups and downs along the way. But through these prophecies, God was preparing the people collectively, one step at a time, for Jesus' arrival. He was pivoting their thinking. Now, let's look at a few examples in the New Testament that were pivotal moments related to the birth of Jesus. Think of the way Mary responded to the angel Gabriel's news that she would be the mother of the Messiah. She could have balked. She could have not felt worthy. She could have resisted. But she humbly accepted what God had prepared for her. This is Luke 1, 38. Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. And she's speaking to the angel. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Well, of course, Joseph had a huge role to play in the birth of Jesus. When he learned that Mary was expecting a child, he was devastated. He assumed she had been with another man. You and I would have felt the exact same way. But Joseph was part of God's plan, and God sent an angel directly to him to get him on board. This is Matthew 1, 20 and 21. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Of course, we know what happened and don't give it too much attention, but Joseph had a mighty struggle in his heart about what to do when he learned that Mary was pregnant. God sent Joseph his own angel in a dream to reassure him and give him some specific instructions. And Joseph did as the angel had directed him. But what if Joseph had not been obedient to the angel's message? What if he had become overcome with fear of what others would think or say? What if he just couldn't accept such a thing as possible? What if he hadn't been there to support Mary, but had put her away? Joseph's obedience was one of the most crucial, pivotal moments related to Jesus' birth. Now, there's one more I want to mention quick. Think of when the wise men, who had come to see the newborn Jesus, had a dream of their own. Herod had asked them to let him know when they found him, so he could come to worship him as well. But actually, Herod intended to find out who and where this king of the Jews was, and kill him. And this is what happened to the wise men. This is Matthew 2, 12. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Here again is a pivotal moment. What if these men had decided not to obey the message they received in the dream? Things would have been very different. Now, you may be thinking, hey, James, this is all pretty interesting, but all these things happened thousands of years ago. What does this have to do with us today? 
Well, for starters, it helps us see God's hand in the chain of events that led up to Jesus' birth. But in addition to that, all these examples of important moments where things pivoted and took a new direction can actually be metaphors for how God works in our lives, preparing and leading us to the birth or appearance of Christ in our own lives. Think back to times in your own life when something happened that gave you a better sense of what Christmas is all about, when your heart pivoted to love and follow Christ more closely. I can think of many times in one way or another associated with Christmas that over the years have opened my heart not just to be more grateful for Jesus, but have given me a deeper, more spiritual significance of Jesus' birth, life, and ministry. And the result has been, I want to be more like Jesus, to follow his example, and to share his message with others. I can remember some books my parents used to read me at Christmas time. I don't remember all the specifics now, but those books pointed my young heart in a direction of loving people the way Jesus did. During my junior year in college, I studied in France. It was the first time I was not home for Christmas. Three friends and I were traveling over the holidays and arrived in Munich, Germany on Christmas Eve in the early afternoon. We planned to buy a wonderful feast of bread, cheese, meats, fruit, and pastries to celebrate the next day. We checked into our youth hostel and divided up the shopping list. I was in charge of buying all the food. They were getting a bunch of other stuff. What we didn't know was that the whole city of Munich was mostly already shut down, getting ready for Christmas. I went from one store to another only to find everything closed. The streets were decorated with Christmas trees everywhere. Everything was so beautiful, but I felt miserable. I returned to our room with no food. And on top of that, everyone told us the restaurants would all be closed on Christmas Day. I had visions of us all going without any food that night and all Christmas Day. As I waited for my friends back in the room, I felt miserable, lonely, and so far from the Christmas spirit. In about half an hour, they returned, full of joy and laughter. I broke the news that we had no food and was sure they would feel just as bad as I did or blame me for coming back empty-handed, but they didn't. Their Christmas joy could not be disturbed. They made light of it and said, well, we'll have a good day anyway. They had managed to find a few donuts, and we had a little food from our train ride earlier. So we settled in, made some decorations, sang some Christmas carols, and had a wonderful evening. In the past, Christmas for me had been about Jesus' birth, of course, but a lot of the focus was on what gifts you gave and what gifts you received, not to mention all the special holiday foods that were on hand for a couple of weeks before Christmas. And to top it all off, my friends all had gifts for me, and I had nothing for them. I felt like such a loser. But the next morning, we woke up cheerful and greeted the day with the joy of Christmas, just without all the external things that I thought brought the Christmas spirit. One thing I had brought back the day before was a little branch from a Christmas tree I found lying in the street. It made the Charlie Brown Christmas tree look magnificent by comparison, but it did the job. 
The amazing thing to me was that we were all in good spirits. We were joyful and had the full spirit of Christmas, even though there were hardly any of the symbols I had associated with Christmas. We went out walking later in the day and found a restaurant that was open and all had a good meal, which I paid for as my present to my friends. Now, this was not just an isolated holiday that was soon forgotten. It was a major turning point in my life about how I viewed Christmas. It turned me away, to some degree, from all the outward material trappings and festivities of the season and helped me focus on what Christmas is really all about, the coming of Christ to a world in need. When my children were young, we had some wonderful Christmas picture books, which I would read each year. There is one in particular that would make me cry every time I read it. I still cry when I read it because it captures so beautifully the majesty of the way events unfolded when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Each time I read that book, it becomes a new pivotal moment for me, impelling me to turn more to Christ in my thinking and the way I live my life. There are so many other examples I could share, but you get the idea. As you are getting ready for Christmas this year, or even if you're listening to this in the middle of July, I encourage you to take some time to look back on things in your life that have given you a deeper sense of what Christmas is all about. What have been those pivotal moments which have pointed you to the spirit of Christmas? What difference have these pivotal moments made in your life? Take a moment to appreciate how God has guided you in these situations. And just like many of the characters in the Bible who didn't realize how a particular decision they made would have a far-reaching effect on the birth of Jesus, you may never know how your actions can affect those in the future. When you incline your heart to follow and be more like Christ, even in a small degree, when you offer a simple word of encouragement or an unselfish deed, or when your heart overflows with love, it will naturally have an impact on your life and give you a deeper sense of what Christmas is all about, as well as bless those around you. But it just might also be a blessing to many generations to come. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate you being here today, and I'm thinking about you this Christmas season and hoping that you will have a deeper sense of what Christmas is all about. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And if you'd like to be in contact with me for any reason, go to my website, thebiblespeakstoyou.com and click on the contact tab in the menu bar, and I'll be in touch. I look forward to hearing from you. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast on my website, I encourage you to do so. When you're on the website, thebiblespeakstoyou.com, just click on the subscribe tab in the menu bar, fill out the form, and you're all set. And when you sign up, I'll send you a prayer guide I put together called Praying with the Mindset of Jesus. Just check your download folder. If you'd like to read a transcript of this week's episode or see all the Bible quotes that I mentioned, you'll find those on the show notes page, which is at thebiblespeakstoyou.com forward slash 217. This is episode 217. I'm always so grateful for the many ways that you are supportive of the Bible Speaks to You podcast, but especially so as the Christmas season comes upon us. 
I am just so grateful for the ways that you have taken the ideas in the show and put them into practice in your own lives, the way you have shared the podcast with your friends. And of course, for those of you who have contributed financially, I am deeply grateful. Thank you so much. That's it for this week. I'm James Early with the Bible Speaks to You podcast. Have a great week. Take care, and we'll see you next time. God bless. God bless.